Well, hey, of all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark's accounting of the resurrection is the shortest. Now, again, like I said, if you've been with us from the beginning of our journey through Mark, this shouldn't be any surprise to you. Uh, Mark's gospel is incredibly quick-paced through the life of Jesus. So it would make sense then uh, in in his accounting of the resurrection that his accounting of this resurrection is going to be quick, it's going to be to the point. But what I love about Mark is that in these eight short verses that we just heard Didi read, he, he packs a lot in there. And at first glance, maybe even at first reading, you, you might not think there's that much in there. But when you take into accounting the, the entire focus of his gospel, the way that Mark closes things out here makes a lot of sense and actually is this huge, huge call to action. So the, the, the focus from the very beginning of, of Mark's gospel has been this call to um, come follow King Jesus as faithful disciples. And so Mark chapter 1 opens with with John the Baptist coming onto the scene. John is the the forerunner to Jesus, and he comes into the scene. He's crying out to the people. It it says in Mark 1, 3, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That's what John is proclaiming in his forerunner to Jesus. So in essence, John is saying the king is coming. The king's coming. Prepare your hearts to follow him. And then Jesus steps onto the scene And the first recorded words of Jesus are found in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. It's at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. And he says, repent and believe in the gospel. This is how Mark's gospel kicks off. The king is coming. Prepare your hearts. The king steps onto the scene and says, the kingdom's at hand. It is in your midst. Repent and believe in the gospel to gain acceptance and entrance into this kingdom. See, Jesus is, is stepping onto the scene of humanity, and he's singing, saying, I'm bringing a new kingdom. Not a kingdom like what you've seen on this earth, but a kingdom where power and authority is going to be attained through suffering, through humility, through the denial of self. I'm bringing a kingdom where the first in it are the ones who put themselves last. I'm bringing a kingdom that that seeks the welfare of others, a kingdom like no other that lasts forever. It has no end. A kingdom that erases fear and shame and guilt where we live as sons and daughters of God most high. And that entrance, he says, into this, this kingdom that's different than any other kingdom we've ever fathomed, he says, it's granted through repentance and it's granted through faith in Christ. From that point forward, the question that's asked over and over and over again throughout Mark's gospel is, are you going to follow this king? Are you going to follow King Jesus? Will you, as we heard both Mark and Cindy today, confess Jesus as Lord? Will you, Mark says, submit to him as Lord? Will you take up your cross? Are you going to die to yourself? Meaning this, are you going to deny yourself? And you're going to follow Jesus as the one true king where there and only there do you find life and joy that's beyond all measure. It can't be fathomed. We're only there and only there, right? Are you accepted by God and then set free, as we sung about already this morning, from fear and from shame and from guilt? It's found in Christ. You see, the message of Mark's gospel is, is simple enough to understand. It's not complex, But the application of it, the doing of it on our own, in our own strength, apart from the grace of God, is impossible. 
In fact, we see that in, in the lives of Jesus' own disciples because throughout Mark's gospel, they, they fail time and time again. They're, they're continually failing to understand. They keep yearning for the same old earthly kingdom, right? So, the, so we see them fighting amongst themselves all the time, even up to the, the day Jesus is arrested, right? They want to be first. They want to be the greatest. They want power. They want a jockey for position. They want recognition in Christ's kingdom, even though they misunderstand it. They want to be seated on his right and his left. They want to, everybody to see how awesome they are, not really even how awesome Jesus is. They want that recognition. They want riches. They want comfort. They don't want to suffer. And Jesus continually and graciously and patiently teaches them, this is what life in the new kingdom is like. Stop thinking of the earthly kingdom. It only leads to death, misery, and destruction. He comes before them and models the new kingdom to them. True humility, true kindness, true love for others, true self-denial. But Jesus also knows that the establishment of this, this new kingdom, with him reigning over both heaven and over earth, is only going to come through his suffering and through his death. You see, up to this point, there was something else that was reigning over mankind. It was sin. It was death. Still reigned over us. Death was mankind's greatest enemy. Shame and guilt still, still ruled them. And so in order for this new kingdom to be established, in order for this new king to be enthroned on high, the old kingdom had to be toppled, had to be conquered. And so death itself, mankind's greatest enemy, had to be dethroned. And so Jesus goes to the cross Jesus offers himself as the sacrifice for man's sin. He, he, he paid the penalty, the debt that, that sinned once, once, once caused us to owe, which is our own life, condemnation. Jesus, Jesus bore the sin on himself, and he paid the debt of mankind with his life. It's Jesus' sacrifice which has healed us. It's, it's he that has, has brought us new life, yet without the resurrection, there's no power in his death. The death of Jesus needed the resurrection. And so here we are now in chapter 16. At the end of chapter 15, if you were here last week, Jesus has been buried. He's in a tomb. Seems as though all hope is lost. Seems as though the kingdom that the disciples had in mind is not going to come about. Seems as though death and fear and shame and guilt, it's all one again. Jesus' disciples, at the end of 15, they've abandoned him. They're in hiding. Peter, the one closest to Jesus, denied to others they even knew who Jesus was. Stop associating me with that guy. He's getting what he deserves. That's, that was the mindset. That's what Peter was saying. Don't lump me in with him at the moment that, that Jesus is being beaten and tortured. Peter walks away. The women coming to the tomb this morning at Mark 16 are in deep mourning, expecting to find a corpse. Everything we see taking place at the beginning here in chapter 16, I believe, encapsulates the, the, the kingdom of death, the kingdom of this world, the hardest emotions and difficulty that we experience as human beings, something we want deliverance from, but something that I believe captures the things that we are enslaved by, but we want freedom from, and that is unbelief, shame, guilt, Death itself. These are the things of the world. The things of the, the kingdom of this world oppresses us with. I mean, this is, this is going to be as good as it gets apart from the resurrection of Jesus. 
Without the resurrection of Jesus, death wins. Sin wins. Evil reigns. It's complete hopelessness. Without the resurrection, the kingdom of death reigns above all and we're still lost in our sins and condemned under a holy God. You see, all of us in that kingdom experience regret, right? We all experience regret. Why is that? Because we're human. We make mistakes. We make poor decisions from time to time. We don't always follow through. We don't, we don't believe like we ought. We doubt. We let fear drive us. As a parent, right, like the older my kids are getting, the, the more I'm finding myself analyzing how I've spent time with them over the, the last decade or so as they've been alive and in my care. And I find myself wrestling with feelings of guilt for not doing more. I, I've hurt people in my, my past with my unkind words, words I wish I could, man, I wish I could take that back. wish I wouldn't have said those things that did a lot of damage. I've led oftentimes out of fear rather than faith. I've sinned in ways in my past that have deeply affected not only myself but those around me. I could go on and on, but that's unfortunately the human experience, isn't it? And when we dwell on those things from our past, if you're anything like me, you begin to, you begin to kind of delve into to shame and guilt and that regret like the disciples who have abandoned Jesus and, and the women at the tomb, we are often seized with these feelings of guilt and shame and unbelief. Our inadequacy, our, our, our failings, they, they tempt us to believe that we are irredeemable. Right? I want deliverance from these things. I want healing. Right? I want redemption. Humanity recognizes there's a problem Right? That's why if you go to any bookstore, what's the largest section usually in any bookstore? Self-help. Do, do self-help on Amazon, and you're going to find over 100,000 different things pop up. Humanity recognizes there's an issue, that there's brokenness, that there's a problem, that there's oppressiveness, and we're desperately wanting deliverance from it. But the problem is, and the problem that we all face, is that I can't go back and fix my past. We can't go back and fix our mistakes. They're part of our story. So, so where does that leave us? It, it leaves us with either these, the, 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 what the kingdom of death, the kingdom of the world tries to answer is like just come up with man-made solutions, just escape, dive into addiction so you're not having to deal with these issues. That's the best the world can offer you. But we want deliverance, so where does it leave us? It leaves us, though, needing to find another way to be made right that's outside of ourselves. See, for those of here this morning, for those of you here this morning that are resonating with this, this reality, that, that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what's gonna grant you that hope, that healing, that forgiveness, that deliverance that you are desperate for. That's where we find it. The resurrection of Jesus is good news. Whether you realize it or not, you are all searching for deliverance. The sum total of your lives up to this point paints a portrait of how you've tried to fix your brokenness. But we can't conquer our unbelief, can we? We can't conquer our shame, our fear on our own. But the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus is Jesus has conquered. The king has conquered it all for us. He's been the one that's walked onto the battlefield and faced the giant of sin and death and put it to death so that now we can run victoriously onto that field. 
right? This is what Jesus has done. This is what the death of Jesus brought about. This is what the resurrection gave power to. You see, since Jesus has conquered the enemy of sin and death, we now, through faith and acceptance, uh, uh, faith in, in, in in the person of Jesus Christ, we find acceptance with God and eternal life, eternal hope that overcomes all of our unbelief and all of our shame. I've got two quick points for us this morning. Because of the resurrection, all right, we want to look at the, the implications, what the resurrection brings about. So because of resurrection, right, the first thing we see in our text today is that Jesus conquers our unbelief. In the first three verses, Mark 16, three women are heading to the tomb early Sunday morning. Who's not there with them? The disciples. They're still in hiding and I actually think Mark is subtly drawing that out in, in verse 3 when, when he records the woman asking, who's going to re- remove this stone away from the entrance? Right? It, it's, it's a subtle dig by Mark to show the disciples aren't there. They're nowhere to be found. Now, these women are for sure showing more courage than the disciples, but they're still failing like the disciples in their unbelief. Because these women are, are, are going to the tomb, and they shouldn't have been going to the tomb alone. The disciples should have been there, and they should all have been heading to the tomb expecting to see Jesus alive, not dead. Now, why is that? Well, as I said earlier, Mark's gospel is very uh, compact. It's, it's right to the point. Mark doesn't mince words. He doesn't repeat words except in regard to Jesus' teaching on his death and resurrection. Three times in Mark's gospel, he records clearly Jesus plainly telling his disciples what is going to happen to him. I'm going to be killed, and three days later, I'm going to be raised to life. Right? Mark 8, 31, Jesus says he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. One chapter later, Mark 9 says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. A couple chapters later, one more chapter later, Mark 10, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, that is the Romans, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. After three days, he will rise. Three times, pretty clear. But nobody that morning was going to the tomb expecting to see Jesus alive. In fact, it says here that the women had just bought spices for burial. Those spices that they bought were very, very expensive. I don't know about you, but I don't like to spend my money on anything that's going to be wasted. A couple weeks ago, uh, during spring break, we took our kids to, we usually do like a little day trip to St. Louis. Uh, and usually go to the zoo. And there's a couple of reasons why we go there. Uh, it's within driving distance and it's free, right? Uh, so we can go to the zoo. Like, and we've gone uh, several years now. So we have been able to know where to park. That doesn't cost us anything. We can walk right in. We bring our own lunch, right? Like, so I'm, I'm just adding up all the savings from this little day trip. So not thinking of the joy I'm bringing to my kids. I'm looking at bottom line, what am I saving on this? So halfway through this trip, I'm like, man, we haven't paid anything, right? A little gas money to get there. That's it. Right? So we, we park for free. We get in for free. We didn't do the packages that they try to sell you when you get in there. We're, we can walk. We know everything is. Uh, toward the end of the day, my kids are like, but there's a train that takes you around the place. And that's where they get you. And so I was like, okay, um, 
will, I'll, in my mind, I'm like, well, we will, fine, we'll get a little train ride. I'll buy like a one ticket ride from, from here to like the next stop, right? You know, so how much can that be? Like five, six bucks, right? So we go up to the thing. There's already a line behind us. So I can't, I've, I, I'm, I'm not one of those people like, oh, I don't want to do this and step out of line. Like I'm committed. So we get up to it and, and all of a sudden I see like, oh no, it's like this unlimited package ride that you got you to gotta purchase for this. So it's like 30, 40 bucks, something like this for like us to literally get on this train and then what we did was just ride it all the way around the circle and then got off at the same spot that we got on, right? So like I'm on this train just thinking like, ah, it's ruined. This whole day is ruined. And like, so my, my kids are like having time in their life. I'm like, yeah, 31 bucks. There's a big good $31 ride around the, and so I'm, and so I'm just, I just don't want to wait. It was a waste of my money. Now you might think, well, the joy in your kid's life, right? Like it's a smile. That should have like, no, man, it was like a waste of money, right? I brought them to the zoo. That's enough joy that they should have gotten. I don't like to waste money, right? Women here, right here in Mark 16, they, they spent a lot of money on these spices for one purpose, to anoint a dead body, right? These women were walking to the tomb that morning expecting death, nothing else. The disciples are hiding because they're believing Jesus is dead. Nobody was thinking in that moment, wait a minute, didn't, didn't Jesus say something about rising from the dead? Like nobody's thinking, wait, we've seen him raise people from the dead. Like here's just a quick side point. The, the whole week leading up to the cross, Jesus and his disciples, they were staying in this village of, called Bethany. It's a little town just right outside of Jerusalem. Do you know who lived in Bethany and most likely who they were staying with the entire week leading up to the cross? Lazarus, right? Whom Jesus had raised from the dead and and, and probably not too far from where Jesus had just been killed, right? Like they just, it's like fresh in their minds. And even if it wasn't like just happened a month ago, like I think if I remember, if I saw a guy come out of the grave, I'd remember that. Jesus raised him, called him to life. And so every day on this week, this final week leading to the cross, these disciples were seeing a man who was once dead and had been brought back to life. And yet still, in their unbelief, not one of them in that moment thought, maybe Jesus could overcome death. Listen, this here is not about casting stones at, at these disciples and, and the women. They are you and me. They're you and me. Put us in that situation. We're going to do and believe the same things. We're going to act the same way because This is life under the dominion of the kingdom of death, right? Death in that world seems certain, doesn't it? Death seems pretty final. It has the last word. It's authoritative. And that's the the kingdom they were still living in. But but something changed in them, didn't it? Though not specifically recorded here in Mark 16, but just the fact that we're sitting here this morning is evidence that their worldview, their belief system changed. If it didn't, we wouldn't be here today celebrating a risen Jesus. We're here today because they began to spread a different message, because they began to live in a new kingdom, that they spread the message of life, right? That they began to spread the message, he is risen, right? That Jesus is alive, a new message that death no longer reigns. It's been dethroned. We're here because they saw Jesus alive. The evidence of Jesus' life and resurrection changed them, and it conquered their unbelief. And if you're like, well, come on, man. Like, yeah, that was like 2,000 years ago. Like, those were a primitive people. They wanted to believe that. 
Like we're more, 2023, come on, we're more advanced, we're more cultured, we're more scientific, we have better understanding of the world around us, and we can't be believing stories of the resurrection. Well, it seems pretty clear here that they didn't want to believe it either. But in the face of clear evidence, they couldn't deny it. Like them, you, you have to do something with resurrection. You've got to do something with it. You cannot shove it aside. You have to do something with the evidence that clearly points to a risen Jesus. And I believe with all my heart, with all my soul, when you come face to face with the Jesus of the Bible, you will come away with your unbelief conquered because he's alive. Jesus is alive. It's a new kingdom where death no longer reigns. He's conquered it, and through his resurrection has conquered our unbelief. So he's reigning over it all. But secondly, my last point is that because of the resurrection, we see that Jesus conquers our shame. In verses 4 through 7, the women here approach the tomb to find the stone rolled away and an angel robed in white sitting where Jesus' body once, once laid. At the end of verse 5, it says that they were alarmed. Yeah, <laughs> right? If you're expecting to see Jesus' lifeless body and instead you see not only is he not there, but there's an angel sitting in a place and he's just talking with you, um, yes, I would be alarmed, right? But, but hear what this messenger says to them in 6 and 7. It says, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where, where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you're going to see him just as he told you. There's a lot of beauty that's, that's happening in this moment. And, and to understand the fullness of, of it all and how it is brought about, we need to understand the theology of the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Colossians chapter 2, he writes, And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers. Hear, this, hear the toppling of a kingdom here. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Right? He's reversing the tables there. Right? He triumphed over them in him. See, at the cross, Jesus bore the sins of his people. He carried them. Well, what's sin? What is sin? Well, as simply as I can define it in, in just one sentence, sin is our failure to be humans who love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. That's sin. Failure to love God, exalt God, worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything flows from that. This is why we can't save ourselves. We're inherently sinful. It's why the life and the death of Jesus was so significant that Jesus came to earth in the likeness of man, right? He, God put on flesh, John 1 says. He was human and did what we cannot do. He loved God with all his heart, his soul, mind, and strength. See, where we miss the mark and where we fall short, he obeyed perfectly. And so that on the cross, what took place is he became our substitute, Right? He, he took our sin, he took our shame, he took our condemnation, and he, and he paid then with his own life, his own blood, what, what was owed to God because of our sin, because of our rebellion and depravity, which is our very life. And he gave his life for ours. 
Now we come back to Mark 16, and this messenger tells these women, go tell the disciples, and Peter, come meet them. See, that message is filled, with brim, with, is filled to the brim with, with grace. This message has to go to the disciples because, again, they're not there, yet Jesus' message to them is not. See, I'm being more snarky than Jesus' is. Jesus' message to them is not, go tell those cowards, those fools, those incompetent traitors that I want to see them. That I want to see them come groveling before me and plead for my forgiveness. It's not the message of Jesus, is it? Because that's not the way Jesus works. See, that's life in a, in a, in, in a different kingdom, right? That's, that's life in the, the kingdom of death, the way I just responded there. You screw up, you better work to make it better. You better earn it. And maybe, maybe I'll forgive you. But that's not the gospel. That's not life in the kingdom of heaven with Christ reigning as king. The gospel isn't I want to see you atone and work for my forgiveness. The gospel is the message of King Jesus is you are loved and forgiven. So repent and come back to me. Amen. Why is Peter's name mentioned here? Put yourself in Peter's shoes. He's denied three times, like before others that night, that he was being beaten and tortured. I don't even know who he is. I mean, talk about betrayal. I mean, Peter had to be feeling in this moment deep shame, regret, irredeemability. I'm done. See, without Peter's name mentioned here, he, he might have been tempted to believe that the message to, to the disciples was actually for the other guys. For surely Jesus wouldn't want to see him after what, what he had just done. Can you see Peter in the room? Guys, you go. I, he probably doesn't want to see me. And yet, what's Jesus? He calls him. Peter, tell Peter, I want to see him. At the moment of his deepest shame, Jesus calls him, wipes away the tears, and says, you're loved, embraces him. In fact, not only was Peter redeemed and forgiven, but ends up leading and, and being greatly used in Jesus' movement from that point forward of the gospel, of the kingdom. This is what the gospel does. This is life in the kingdom of heaven. It removes shame. Because Christ has taken it upon himself. And he's given us only his righteousness. The gospel frees us. No longer do we need to walk in shame and guilt because of our past. We've been called out by grace, by name, to come into the light and experience the freedom and the forgiveness and deliverance and acceptance with God. Will you hear that call? Do you hear that call? Will you respond to it? Stop trying to fix your shame your brokenness by trying to atone for it yourself with your good works, with your religious piety, with this, reality, with, with this thinking that, well, I'm at an Easter service today. Isn't that good? No, does nothing, does nothing. I'm glad you're here. Does nothing to fix your brokenness and your mess. That's, that's you living under the kingdom of death. You've got to atone for it. You've got to be better. All that does when we try to clean ourselves up is that just smears the mess around more and more. When our kids were little, you put them in that high chair, right? And the, the older they get, you, you, they make a mess, right? Like, you, you know, our kids are messy, right? And so you, but you want to teach them, right? Like, start cleaning up after yourself, right? So you just stuff smeared everywhere. And so you give them that little, you know, wash rag or whatever. Like, I can't try and clean. And 
they don't ever clean, right? Like they, they, they try, they're moving it around. So I picture it, right? They're just smearing it all around. They're kind of smearing it all over their face, but they're not clean. Like they, they can't, they, like they need someone else. They need mom, they need dad to come in and, and clean them. Like at the cross, Jesus took the mess upon himself. He was made to be sin, our mess. And with his life, he paid the debt that we owed. He took the shame and in his resurrection guaranteed that the payment he was making on the cross was good. See, Jesus came and cleaned the mess. So stop trying to clean your own mess, right? You're just smearing it around. The call is you're loved and you're forgiven. So come repent, right? Come receive grace that's given to you. And now like the message of Mark itself, he calls to his disciples and says, come, join me. You've been forgiven, so come join me on this mission to bring this message of the kingdom, this message of hope to all the corners of the earth. He calls his disciples and says, come out of hiding. (laughs) Come join him, right? In Galilee, come join us. As I close here today, the, the message of the resurrection to us today is the same. The message of the resurrection is to come out of hiding. Come out of hiding and follow him. I mean, truly follow him. The final verse in verse, uh, verse 8 says that, that they went out, these women went out and fled from the tomb. It says, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing and they, to anyone, for they were afraid. But they laughed with this message, and that's an abrupt ending to Mark's gospel. And you might be thinking, if you, if you got your Bibles open, you might be saying, well, there's still like verses 9 through 20 here. We mean this is the end. Those verses actually weren't found in the very earliest of manuscripts, and so more than likely those verses were added later by, by other copyists of maybe a summarization of the other Gospels. Maybe they didn't like the abruptness of how Mark just kind of ends this Gospel in verse 8. But I think Mark's driving home a point. He's calling his disciples to lay down their lives, to deny themselves, and to rest in the hope and the power and the joy and the freedom of the resurrection and to join Jesus on mission, proclaiming a new kingdom, a new king. To do so means that we're going to live counterculturally. To do so means our entire lives need to center around the glory and the goodness of Jesus. It means that we deny ourselves and the treasures of this world that mean absolutely nothing and pale in comparison to him. And we cling to the greatest treasure of Jesus Christ, knowing that the resurrection promises the renewal of all things. Jesus' body was laid in a tomb, but it was raised in glorious perfection. What's that show us? shows us that Jesus' life was not lost when he went to the cross. But in the resurrection, it was renewed. That's the hope and the promise of the resurrection, our future deliverance. There's nothing that we lose in this life for the good of the kingdom of God that won't be renewed to us in the next. It's why, because of the resurrection, the fear of death is gone. In the kingdom of death, it's our greatest fear. It's our greatest enemy because death is our greatest enemy. But in the kingdom of heaven, with Christ reigning on king, as king over, over all, death no longer has any power. It's been defeated. It's why in the resurrection there is no need to fear because Christ has overcome. It's why now the invitation in Mark's gospel from Jesus is to come join him on mission and find life, find joy, find what you were created for. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow Jesus. And you know what you'll find? You'll find life. You'll find joy. The resurrection 
The resurrection is what breathes life into our weary bones. Right? The resurrection is what grants strength to those who are suffering. The resurrection is what brings freedom and deliverance from the curse and the power of sin and death. The resurrection is what destroys every evil threat that, that's ever been stood against us. The resurrection is what promises eternal life in the presence of God forever, what we were created for. New life in this kingdom. New life in this kingdom. With this new king who has conquered, it begins at the cross. It begins at the cross and it finds its power in the resurrection. This is the call to you all. It begins with repentance and faith. If you have not yet believed in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, this is the call to you from Mark's gospel. This is the call to you from the resurrection. Come believe. Turn from your sin. Turn faith to Christ and Christ alone who will wipe away every fear, every shame, every guilt that ever stood against you. Death is no longer your greatest enemy. There's a new king who's reigning. Right? What's Jesus say? The kingdom of God's at hand. It's in your presence. It's here. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in Jesus. The king has conquered. Come be a part of his mission to push back against that which is dark in the world and to bring light and hope to a people who are desperate, desperate for it. And all they're doing is smearing the mess. We have a message of hope and healing and cleansing that comes through the person of Jesus. Will you believe this? And church, will you go, ascent ones, ready to proclaim it to the world in need? Let's pray.